I'm going to read that, that poem that you said you read the first time. The first time I saw time then was just beyond the turn of 13. That sheer fabric broke in the middle of normal's morning while June's sun prospected the windows. I slipped through its transparency, found another space not far away along the rampant creek. The place I escaped, chaos, noise, debris. I was forced to choose, that was clear, and so found a home near rush and stone. Yes, there was a copse. There was water slipping over, ensorcelled by those very stones. Or the stones were by water. I rested in that room, passed out of it only when I heard my father's voice, came back home. This is a revenge poem. When you were dead. The other day I dreamt you were dead and I woke to laughing, my own voice laughing in February's bed. Morning's light, low white like slowed snow, overspread the room. My breath was icy above quilts. My good husband, his breath cold too, little clouds of north wind slept next to me, warm in our own winter, our chosen bed. You may indeed be dead, or you may well be laughing, rallying in another woman's bed. I don't know, don't care, but I must admit I'm still provoked by the memory of your wintry wit, glacial smile. I believe you know. (laughs) that's my husband (laughs) okay Um, this one's called the future there was a great tree gigantic old oak across the lane's ditch just before a fence that outlined the bleak snapping turtle creek Darkness stirred there, like a snake through green. We children invented futures in that marled palisade, adopted acorn babies, infants who did not cry, complain, whine, who required required no thrashings. In this present, this not, lawns are unmowed, troughs rife with weeds and despond. Dust blowing up leaves like accusers' voices. The oak, its pocketed offspring are gone. Seeds flown downward, questions unanswered. I've written a series of poems about dogs, um, and this is one of them. It's called The Old Dog's Lament. I was barking all the time when I was a pup. I couldn't get enough of the sound of my high, vagabond voice, the parallel report from the ridge-scraped barn, glaciated pond. The turtle, even the heron, stopped to hear my song. I was a blithe boy. And those dogs spun out, and those days spun out, unbroken. Then I met the yellow bitch with the feral smell, exhorting voice. She and I, 
We became one beast, our fur commingling on the hill, mouths eating wind, feet in tandem. Even after coming to see my sweet in that last place, splayed and spread where she found her end, I could hardly suss her fur there, dead, grayed among last summer's sere stems. Her smell still lay heavy on the, bo on the hay. I had jaw-dragged her after the tires bump and thud, listened as she whimpered her awful death, but I could not stop her going. No one has to tell me to cease my sorrowing. I carry her face behind my eyes, now and then lift my head at what I recollect. Her bark, joy-struck eyes, tail thrilling against our day's blue, blue skies. Mm -hmm. Another one is called um, Dog Girl Tells the Truth. Where I breathed every day but Saturday was deep in the riot cave behind the stove. I lay there, paws splayed toward escaping heat. Mother said no, but the family dogs barked and licked. Of course the games couldn't continue, though I tried to shift my shape, adapt my limbs to the floor. Father begged, then dragged me by my pelt, the chastened pet keening like wolves losing their young. I cried for fire, for tongues, for fur, my nailed toes of braiding linoleum while they dressed me in red chiffon for the prom they'd planned. And this is a high school boyfriend, and um, some of you will recognize some of the terms, some of you aren't quite old enough to. <laughs> anyway, it's called rhomboid. Always in a hurry, that shape, its parallels box jet propelled, navigating an unresistant deep. The 59 Chevy Flamingo Pink, sharply finned ship belonged to my boyfriend's father. And wasn't it unique? Bench seat angled back, just the right petting pitch, brazen windows cracked to let in Iowa's 30 below cold. We'd heard sad stories about other winter lovers who heater on forgot. The midnight road, frozen flat, north to south, silently aimed at Orion, his burning belt. Our farmhouse was axis bent like Dorothy's by a long ago cyclone, the lean-to kitchen precarious. Upstairs, our bedroom walls inclined to eaves, and the coal shed out back graded itself in slanted ranks. Was that where I learned momentum? I was startled once to see myself in a city window, head ahead of torso, diving into the noisy sidewalk. Was this the source of my rush to the end of things? That boy, sweetly flat-topped, old-spiced, pinned willing me to the herringbone upholstery while I, craving his viceroy kisses, upleaned at him. Our breath flared like northern lights on the audacious vehicle's windshield. But that boy wasn't enough. I was in a hurry, on course, requiring distance. He, no doubt a fine, upright citizen in some Midwestern town, 
seems to lean against the car's tropical sheen. He drags on his cigarette, stubs it out, and opening the slope door, waves goodbye, unlined eyes calm, eternally smiling. And this one is in a memory of Governor Nelson Rockefeller. And some of you might recall how he met his end. Well, this is called Black Rock Forest, which is down by Cold Spring. The grasshoppers copulate, so intent that I could step on them. They could go back to soil like the politician who, while laboring happily over his mistress's blasé flesh, leaps from life, heart burnt like a jungle blossom. Among the rampant goldenrod, the yellow spider hangs herself, her web a ladder to death's order, mate long since dispatched. The forest is in love with repetition, Watchers in flowers ready themselves for mornings, climb out of your bodies. Then, like eager grooms, they arise from their blossoms, part of the mountain's fruit, the feverish silence. And um, in the Catskills and anywhere along the highways, you see these, the turkey buzzards or the vultures and um, they're, they're, I think they're really beautiful. And so I wrote this poem after seeing one one day when I was uh, driving along and just sitting on a fence post for the longest time. And this has an epigraph. Uh, in parts of medieval England, after a death, the body was laid out with a plate of food on its chest. A local outcast, the sin eater, was paid to eat the food, the act symbolically granting absolution. And this still happens in parts of Appalachia today. Turkey buzzard. Unable to lie, the vulture points out truth. He descends to scavenge tread deaths, the fox's spoils. Discreet as an undertaker, he swallows all but the bones. After dining, he stands a moment, staring into the open, stiffens his wings around his torso like a penitent fixing a hair shirt, then maneuvers his earth-ugly bulk up away from his work. End feathers lifted, span eagle-wide. The sin-eater transmutes. He becomes the sky's most exalted fixture, an angel risen out of something's last long pain. A lot of these are, uh, well, most of my poems aren't humorous, so I'm sorry about that. But <laughs> This one's called For the Girl Buried in the Peat Bog, Schleswig, Germany, 1st century AD. And uh, she's one of the peat bog people. Their bodies did not um, disintegrate. The, their skin became leather-like, and um, their, their expressions were often still on their faces. And if they were wearing clothes, they were intact because of the, I think it's the tannin in the peat that preserved them. She always walks the dark world, head skewed to the cry of some sorrowing bird, left arm outflung, right enfolding the birch branches that arranged her death. 
They blinded her with a band woven from the colors of fire and sun and soil. They led her to shallow waters and made her lie down. They laid a plain stone over her nakedness. Her eyes closed from the force of color and her face, delicate, forever 14, forgot her lover, found in the long violence before dying, the expression of light. Deliver her, sight restored to her northern gods. Let this child's body grow back into the earth, eyes rest on luminescent roots, her final darkness. And this is called um, looking. Uh, when you live in the Catskills, you see a lot of the sky, and uh, there's there is also always wonderful stuff in the sky. In the dawn, I saw stars reversing clouds. I saw clouds pretending to be sky, and a jet's plume speaking. This was winter in a place where seasons teach. Later, when the mountain tilted, the sun shone, but it was still eight below. The cold helped the snow to stay pure, helped the hills outline themselves beyond my window. The road contributed to the whole idea of perspective, yet I understood how the ancient painters leveled everything, how vision was only an autistic's dream. While I looked, the dogs rhythmically chewed their bones until the daily news was delivered by the small car with the yellow sun. Then they barked. <laughs> and um, just read a couple more from this one. I used to live in Manhattan, and I used to ride my bike everywhere. And uh, one day when I was Writing down Fifth Avenue, I saw what I thought was Harry Truman. So, <laughs> Truman and me. At noon on Wednesday, I saw Harry S. Truman walking across Fifth Avenue. I knew Harry, alive again, wearing a double-breasted, off-the-rack, gray serge suit, properly buttoned. Harry stopped, resisting the force of pedestrians, and looked at me, looking pleased through steel-rimmed glasses. I could read the president's mind, a cyclist who waits. I smiled back at him, felt my grin grow to both ears, splitting my face in two. Harry laughed, then saluted me. I could almost travel to Hiroshima on those rows of good-natured teeth. <laughs> And this is called In the Catskills. Even the hemlock grows indifferent to life, dies standing, keeping his secret for untold prideful years. The tree's needles diminish, bark and heartwood degenerate to dust. When the north wind hears of this, he offers a parting kiss, and the tree falls into the arms of his fellows, who carry the corpse on their gnarled shoulders, a hundred years procession, a stately bearing back to the mountain's body.
an ekphrastic poem, and it's also a sestina. Um, and it was written after an experience hiking up Breakneck Bridge, uh, Ridge, if you know where that is, down by Cold Spring, sort of across from Storm King. And um, it's called Clay's Bird Wandering Off Sestina, after a painting that uh, Paul Clay called Bird Wandering Off. In an orange and strangled sky, artist, you strung a moon, engorged it, painted it pink. Your white peaks grazed the picture's northern edge in front of purple peaks. Then, Paul, you tilted a hidebound pine, forecasting your own tight rind, a bird perfect as truth, exit stiffly west off the perfect stair of a house or pyramid. Artist, you make us guess. And behind pines skewed toward their black exit, darkly painted, on Breakneck Ridge, precipitous peak above the Hudson, the pigeon, living picture, emerald iridescent, a glitter, picturing us, stepped out, one eye ruffled, perfectly suspicious, the other calmly peeking south, contemplating like an artist the horizon. The scene was like a painting. I offered food, and the dove pining captured it, flew up an arrow into pines, pushed forth by wind. Paul, did you picture this? Was this what you truly painted? Was that you, waiting at rock's perfect edge, sheer exterior, eye glowing like an artist's beaked frown, choking on air from high peaks? Wasn't this continent, the peaked world, you found while slowly pining away, skin hardening like paint on your artist's palette? Didn't you look for pictures in all directions, maker, your brush sliding down perfect mountains, the orange sky? You painted yourself right off living side, painted yourself into pigment, didn't you? You peaked early and stayed there, perfect, breathing heightened air like a stunted pine in a heady, breathless picture. You made yourself into an artist, Paul, and during your slow demise, you pined for perfection, always conscious artist, picturing peaks to paint even as you fossilize. And I just want to mention, Paul Clay suffered from scleroderma, which is a terrible skin disease uh, where the skin and everything hardens. So he became like a sculpture, and you die from it. There's no, there's no cure for it. So uh, that was what that was about. I'm just going to read one more poem here. And um, this is called Changed Places. Sitting at table, surrounded by faces, waking voices, ate in the holy morning. This chair upon which you've never before rested, this four-legged turned maple apparatus set here in the guest place. Light, sudden and slow. Light, counting the rooms, today's inhabitants, through the window where still stands the hundred-year maple. Ridged skin turning green, burrows bulge like saints' quaking eyes. Green, this end of May moment, and these faces filled 
voices wavy with light. You, strange visitor, have never before seen, never will again. Thank you.